Wow, thank you. You guys are really good sports. Not only do you play my game, but you all wear red um, when we ask you to, so we appreciate it. It's, it's been a, a busy weekend. There's a lot going on. As we've mentioned a few times, today is Pentecost Sunday in which we celebrate the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And it is also a Memorial Day weekend in which we remember those who gave their lives in service. And it's also the start of summer. School got out for most of our, our children. And, and parents are already saying, when, when does my kid get back in school, right? <laughs> um, and so we are thankful that you are here joining us, uh, whether you're in person or if you're joining us online. And honestly, if you're not with us, I know you're, you would not be listening to me saying this, but if you're not with us, I hope that you're having a restful break as well. It's important that we, we spend time resting as well. Um, that's something that the Lord commands us to do. Um, and so it's good to be together wherever you are. Uh, we, last week, we started a sermon series about story looking at the genealogy found in Matthew chapter 1, which traces the story all the way from Abraham to Jesus. And each person mentioned in the genealogy has a story, and their story contributes to the greater story of what God is doing in our very midst. It's a story that God invites you and I into as well. And as we're talking about stories, and we've selected 10 different stories from that genealogy of Matthew chapter 1 to share with you all this summer as we venture into learning more about what God is doing in his redemptive works. But we also want to be building a culture of sharing our own stories, stories in which we are noticing the movement of God in our midst. And so this morning, before we get into the story of Abraham or a story from Abraham's life, I want to share with you a story about something that God has done in my life. Uh, it's a story that some of you might have heard before, but it is the story of how I ended up here in Peachtree City, Georgia. So a little bit of backstory. When I was in college at the University of Michigan, go blue, um, I ended up discovering that God was calling me into ministry. And I did not know exactly what that was going to look like, but I wanted to be faithful in saying next yes to whatever the next step God had for me. And so when I graduated in December of 2019, yes, the dates are important here in the story. Uh, there will be a quiz at the end. When I graduated in December of 2019, I packed my bags, and two weeks after graduation, I was driving down with my dad to Pasadena, California, to start seminary. Um, I moved into a one-bedroom apartment because when you start seminary in the winter term, there aren't a lot of other people starting seminary that want to room with you. And so um, I ended up uh, moving into a one-bedroom apartment. There was a huge bay of windows right in my living room, which let in plenty of sunshine, which was really nice. But I began to learn what it was like to live by myself for the first time ever. Before that, I had lived with roommates or my family. And, and I was pretty excited, honestly, to, to live by myself, to to say yes to this next thing. And, and I felt like God had really called me to Fuller Seminary and to Pasadena, and there was a purpose for why I was there. Um, and pretty quickly after I got to California, I realized that this was not the thing that I was expecting. And I was 
overwhelmed with an incredible amount of loneliness. One thing that I did not realize, you see, in, in my undergraduate um, career at Michigan, most of my classes were preparing me for grad school. A lot of my professors said, oh, when you go to grad school next, this is an important thing for you to do. And so I was expecting to, to enter in, into seminary and not have all of the people be my similar walk of life, but at least have a few other people that looked like they um, just graduated college or just graduated high school because I still looked pretty young, still do look pretty young. Um, and, and I walked into my first class and I, and I was like, everybody here is significantly older than me. The, the youngest people like had young kids and, and I'm like, hi, I'm new. Um, does anybody want to be my friend? <laughs> And being this Midwestern boy, um, I, I was used to a, a culture in which you invite somebody over for dinner, and it, if it goes well, they invite you over to their house for dinner next time. Um, and, and very quickly, I realized that this was a completely different world that I had walked into, and I was so ill-prepared for what I was entering into. And within a few weeks, I, I was... I was struggling in my, in my time of prayer with God because on one hand I was like, but I'm brand new, so I just need to trust you and give this more time. And, and you know, everybody kind of has a long time of getting settled in and getting used to it. And on the other hand, God, I'm so lonely. Why did you bring me out to this desolate place? And it just got worse from there because uh, three months into my time in seminary, uh, as I was finishing my first quarter, I was sitting in class when we got news alerts that the world was quite literally shutting down. And as we walked out of that classroom, I did not realize that that last time walking out of the classroom was the last time I would ever walk out of an in-person class in seminary. And I stayed home, <laughs> flattened the curve, you know, um, in my one-bedroom apartment in zoomed and facetimed people um and the interesting thing was as as i had these means of connection over cell phone calls and, and video conferencing calls somehow that level of connection made me feel even more isolated and i couldn't help but think god why did you bring me all the way out here to let me suffer and as I entered into prayer, it, God spoke very clearly to me. It was not something I liked hearing, but it was something that God spoke very clearly to me. And God said this. He said, Austin, I have not abandoned you, and I will not leave you. But just like the Israelites, you need a time in the wilderness so that you can be prepared for what I have next for you. And so I tried my best um, to to muster through the wilderness, um, trusting in the Lord. Um, and man, I had to trust in the Lord. Um, it, it came into a lot of routine. Uh, my wife, Hope, recently asked me, like, how did you survive? And like, the answer was, okay, every morning I made steel-cut oats. And, and while the steel-cut oats were, were being made, I, I like made my coffee, took a shower. I got out in time for the steel-cut oats to be made. Like, I had my life, like, routinized, um, and you know what? I made it through. And I was allowed 
to bring my struggles to God. The interesting thing is every time it was ready to throw in the towel, to say, this, this whole experiment has been great, but what am I doing here? I, I could at least go home. Um, Hope recently asked, why didn't you go home? And, and while the answer is really, I don't know, the, the answer became every time I, I pleaded with the Lord to let me go home, something happened that kept me in California. And so the first time I was ready to go home, I got offered a job to work with Fuller's Church Planning Initiative, and so I stayed. And then the next time I was ready to go home, I can do that, that job remotely from, from the comfort of my parents' house in Michigan. Um, I was there was a need for somebody to be a community coordinator for, for the apartment complex there. And so I stepped in and said yes. And the next time I was ready to go and be somewhere, anywhere else, the, the Lord had me working for this church plant I had been attending. And all of these things happened where God just kept saying, not yet, not yet. You need to trust me. And then finally, one time— I said, God, will you, will you release me from this space? And I heard a whisper of the Spirit say, yes, you are ready to go out into what I have next for you. And as part of my ordination process, I had been asked by my ordination advisors to find a 9 to 12 month internship at a medium to large size church in our denomination. Um, and if you know anything about the church world, internships aren't something that you just apply to at, at Indeed.com. Um, they require a lot of networking. And, and it just so happened as, as the Lord was whispering these um, encouraging words of allowing me to be released from my time in Pasadena, uh, I, I met this pastor who became a quick friend of mine named Tim Norton. And some of you guys might know the name Tim Norton um, as Tim served as the associate pastor um, here a number of years um, before me. And, and Tim and I became fast friends, and, and I was explaining to him this ordination requirement of, of mine. In fact, his wife is the ordination student advisor, so she was the one who actually told me I needed to do this anyways. Um, and, and Tim was like, yeah, I'll help you find a church to serve as an intern. And not, not three hours after our conversation, he, he sent me a text saying, here's this church, Evergreen Church, you should check them out. I talked to the lead pastor. He said he would love to talk to you. Um, and, and so he sent me this text, and he said, if you don't want to do this, you don't have to, but like, check it out. Um, and so I, I opened the website link that he had sent me, and the first thing that I see is this, this church is in Georgia. And here's something you need to know. Um, there was a time in my life where I've been on record saying I would move anywhere in the United States except for the South. okay, God, you're releasing me from California, and, and you're laughing at the same time. And to put it at record, I love being here. Um, I was so wrong about my, my assumptions about the South, um, and I love being here. But there was something in me that said, yes, I, I need to at least check this out. Um, my contact for, for Don Fierbach still says Don Fierbach in notes, eco-networking contact. Um, not father-in-law, not boss, eco-networking contact. <laughs> um, and so we set up a time to meet, and immediately it, it was clear that this was the place that God was bringing me 
wanted to. And so it took a few months of, of working out the details and figuring out different families that I could live with for the year of interning, but we made it work, and I ended up here almost two years ago now. Um, in a few weeks, it will be my two-year anniversary of being here at Evergreen Church. And, and I am just so thankful for what the Lord has done. And as I came here, not knowing what was going to happen, honestly, I was really concerned that the same thing that happened to me in California, of, of moving someplace, trusting God, and just being met with incredible loneliness, was, was a real fear of mine moving here. And, and I had to give that over to the Lord. And I said, Lord, I trust you. And as I came here, you all made me feel so at home. And it's something that I'm so grateful for. You know, sometimes and oftentimes, the stories of our lives, the the big stories of our overarching lives, and the small stories of how God has been working in our lives teach us valuable lessons. For me, I'm still working out the ramifications of of the lessons that I learned from my lonely endeavor in Pasadena. But one of the things that I have learned and continue to learn from God is that when God makes a promise, he does not let go of his promises. And he does not let go of you or I. His promises are true and unfailing. On Pentecost Sunday, we remember that as, as God promised, as Jesus promised the coming of the Holy Spirit. We know and we claim today as we live with the Holy Spirit inside each and every one of us that God's promise of, of the coming and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit was true. And God promised that he would not abandon me in a time of loneliness. And that became true. And as we look at the story of Abraham today, we also learn that we, from Abraham, that God's promises are trustworthy, even when it does not look like they're going to make sense. And so, if you have a Bible with you, I want to open up to a particular story towards the end of our story of Abraham found in Genesis. So, we're going to flip to Genesis chapter 22 today. Um, The word should also be on the screen behind me, but hear the word of the Lord. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him. There is a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he sent out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. 
When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And on this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as sand on the seashore. Your descendants will, be, will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This story about sacrifice and the sacrifice of Abraham's son, Isaac, is, is one that is hard to bear at times. Because we are, we are talking about something so large and huge that we ourselves, if we're honest ourselves, would have an incredibly hard time doing if God had asked us. It would be preposterous if God had asked us. But the story of Abraham being willing to sacrifice his son, his only son of him and Sarah, is important because it is connected to the entire story of Abraham that we find in the story of Genesis. In Genesis, we meet Abraham all the way back in chapter 12, 10 chapters earlier than the story that we are seeing. And, and God chooses Abraham Abraham, who was at that time called Abram, and promises to bless him in the coming generations. At this age, Abram was 75 years old. And Abram and Sarai were without child. And God still promised that he would bless them. And through their offspring, he would give to them this land. And naturally, for, for Abram and Sarai, it was hard to trust the Lord's promise because they were looking out ahead of them and they saw nobody to inherit the blessing that God had given them. And as they asked the Lord, God, are you sure about this? God continued to reiterate his promise to say, yes, I promise that you will have a child to whom I will give the same blessings that I have given you. That through you, all nations will be blessed. Through Abram, we are all blessed today by the Lord. 
And it's interesting because in every instance that we read about the interaction between Abram and God, there is some level in which Abram, while he wants to be faithful and trust in God's promise, there's a hint of him that says, I don't know if what God promises is really, at the end of the day, going to be true. In Genesis chapter 12, after God initiates this first promise with Abram, we read right after that a drought hits, a drought and famine hits the land that God had promised to Abram. And what does Abram do? He leaves and goes to Egypt because he has to make sure that he and his wife and their servants, they are provided for. There's a little bit of them that does not trust that God would provide for them. And so they go to Egypt. Sometime later, God comes back to Abram and reiterates his promise and his promises to Abram that he will bless him, that he will establish a covenant with him, and through his offspring they will be blessed. And God, and Abram still says, I have no children. Will Eliza of Damascus inherit my estate? There is a legitimate question that Abram is asking. God, how How will you prove that you will be faithful to this promise that you have made? But we read in the story of Abram, and we see it come to life in Genesis chapter 2, as Abraham is willing to sacrifice his son, that his, his faith in God's promise is credited to him as righteousness. In chapter 15 verse 6 we read the type of, about the type of person that God is creating Abraham to be it says that Abram at that time Abram believed the Lord believed his promises and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness God God knows in each of our lives that there are things in which we have a hard time looking beyond our present circumstances and trusting that what God says is good is actually going to be good. We all have have had times, and we all still continue to look around and survey the scene and say, God, will you truly redeem this entire world? I look out and I see these circumstances that that point to the answer of no, and yet God continues to promise and say, I will redeem. I will be the one who, who accomplishes the things that I have promised to you. And so as we continue to understand the story of Abraham, we see that at the age of 125 years after God initially promised to bless him through his offspring, Abraham and Sarah give birth to a son, Isaac. And while at times before, as God reiterated this promise, they both laughed and said, surely we can't have kids in this old age. God proves that he will accomplish his promises. In Matthew chapter 1, as we read the genealogy starting at Abraham and ending up at Jesus, we see that Jesus is a promise in the flesh of God. I love the story of of the sacrifice of Isaac because of Abraham's boldness not to even question 
God's promise. And yet God invites us to question, to hold him accountable, to say, God, will you really do it? Because God will prove himself time and time again. When I was lonely and at my lowest point, I asked God, are you sure that you are going to keep your promise? And God did not judge me for asking. He allowed me to wrestle with the big questions. And God proved himself. And God has proven himself through sending his one and only son to be a sacrifice for us. I love it when, when Abraham is talking to Isaac and Isaac is, is saying, well, where is the lamb that we will sacrifice? And God says, God, and Abraham says, God will provide the lamb. You see, we stand today on the other side of the resurrection knowing that God himself has provided the lamb. The lamb of God is is the Son of God, is Jesus. And on this Pentecost Sunday, we, we boldly proclaim as the Spirit has come to indwell in us that the promises of God are faithful, that God achieves his promises, and that we can trust in his redeeming work. The redeeming work that is at work in each and every one of our stories. Let's pray together.